Well, hey, church. Welcome. So glad to be here with my brother, Sam Miranda, yes. or as they call you, Sam Swaggerific. <laughs> Miranda's got white pants, too, not just red. He's got the whole rainbow I, of pants. I think I threw the red pants in the whitewash. <laughs> I think that's what happened here. Oh I don't know. I, I never would have thought of I, I'd see the day that I'd actually dressed better than you. Yeah, you look like I, me. I don't... <laughs> I was, I was really like kind of thrown off, but we're glad to have you for the launch of our series called Contrast. We're going to be going through the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, and we're calling it Contrast because that word contrast means to differ strikingly. And what Peter is doing, the author of this book, is he is contrasting the belief of the church, of Christians, and the lifestyle that we are to live with that of the world, with that of people that do not believe and follow Christ. And so Peter, who was an apostle of Jesus, he was one of the primary teachers of the early church, and he also was a church planner. He writes to many, many churches in the area of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing primarily to a Gentile audience. And this Gentile audience are new believers. They have very little connection to the Jewish faith. And so their conversion and their lifestyle change and their belief change is very drastic. And he's speaking of what it would look like for them to contrast and to live in contrast from the culture that they've come out of. Well, there's three things that uh, First Peter reveals and gives us today, and that's a living hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, that's a tested faith where we're going to be doing that via a couple of testimonies that we got lined up. And finally, we have something of unimaginable value. And so church, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we'll be reading verses 3 through 12. I'll be reading from the ESV, the eternally saved version. No, I kid. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's what God's Word says today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I could preach Right there, that one line. I could just spend 30 minutes on that one line. But he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testedness, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through the tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The word of the Lord. You know, Carter, the best blessings that we can give uh, to people and to one another are the multiplications of grace, the multiplications of peace. And remember, there has to be, before we have peace, there has to be true grace, an experience of true grace. First grace 
and then peace. Because like you said, uh, Peter's audience here are the exiles in dispersion, dysphoria here. He had some Jews, mostly Gentiles, right, uh, uh, that had no land. The Jews had no land of Israel, and the Gentiles that identified with them, you know, they were dispersed here. Can you imagine the anxiety that these people felt? They had, again, they had no land. They had no temple to worship in. They had nothing to identify with. They felt completely alone. And here Peter's telling them they got something to hope for that's more certain than the ground under their feet, something that's been settled in the inerrant and infallible Word of God, that even though the world around them was in turmoil, that even though the, the world they lived in, uh, lived in was sometimes against them, right, that to those who are chosen, he says, called and cleansed, that they possessed a hope. We possess a hope that's out of this world. And this alone caused Peter to shout in church. This ought to cause us to shout, as he says here in outset of verse 3, blessed be God. Every day we wake up in the morning, we should just utter those words, blessed be God. Blessed be God, because firstly, there's a procedure and that procedure involves God's foreknowledge, not because we did anything to deserve it, because it's a work of pure and utter grace. And by the way, God's foreknowledge, when it's connection, uh, in connection to people, it's always meaning his foreloving. For example, if I were to give you a dollar today, and, and, you and you take the dollar, right, it would be weird if you asked, well, why'd you give me the money? It would be weird if I said, well, I gave it to you because I foreknew you would take it. I, I, I couldn't have foreknown that you would take it apart from my intention to give it. And so when we receive God's free offer of salvation here because of Jesus, right, and he chose us in Jesus, and part of the procedure here of bringing us to Jesus is to set us apart by the Holy Spirit, by awakening us, awakening us our true need, right, us, our, our need of salvation as he speaks to our hearts about our lost condition, as he calls us to repentance, and he gives us the faith to respond to God's free offer. And so the procedure involves our, our election. It involves our calling it involves our cleansing. And here's the best part. Not only is there a procedure, church, but he says, blessed be God, because there's a plan. And the plan, according to God's great mercies, has caused me and has caused you to be born again. Peter doesn't start this sermon with, well, I, I, I got a lecture here on regeneration, and uh, I got a couple of doctrines that I wish to discourse, eh? you see? No, he begins to praise he begins to, it's this outburst of wonder and, and worship that he, that he starts off here. And that's why, because that's what these realities have produced in his heart. Hey, if I were to ask you, Carter, how do you know that you were born, like from your mother's womb? What would you say? Like, I'm right here. Like, that's it? Hello, I'm here. Like, I'm here. <laughs> Six <laughs> feet. That's all you need to say. You know, some people, you wouldn't say, hey, I exist, but... I got this certificate at home if you want to see it, or, or you wouldn't say I'm alive, but, you know, I've got some signed affidavits by three or four witnesses that saw my mom pregnant and then saw little cute baby Brown in her arms after. No, you would say, I'm, I'm here. I see you. You're right six feet across from me. I see you. But watch this. If you ask the average churchgoer or Christian, how do you know that you've been born again? A lot of them would say, well, you know, I took a class, or I did, I did what you must do to be born again, or I've got, this, I've got this card in my wallet that I signed on, you know, June 15th, 1952, where I pledged my, you know, heart. You know, a lot of Christians won't just say, because I'm alive to God. God did it. We got a tendency to infer that the new birth comes from something we did to cause it, rather than something it causes in us. 
And this self-made, self-Christian existence, it's no wonder why there's no real worship and wonder. And, and this is what causes Peter here to explode over it and causes him to say, blessed be God, blessed be God, there is a procedure. Church, blessed be God, there's a plan. And blessed be God that there's a product. What's the product? He says here at the end of verse 3, the product is a living hope. God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that our faith and our hope are in God. The resurrection is about him. It ain't about you. It's about God. And so we trust in God and we hope in God. And we should say, like Peter, blessed be God, the Lord, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Told you I was going to preach on that, that one line, right? Church, we have a living hope. We have a long-term salvation, we have a longed-for reward. We have a lasting inheritance. We have a fail-safe future to look forward to beyond all of the noise and all of the chaos and all of the suffering. And everything we go through life is designed by God to increase our joy in this life for that future. Isn't that amazing? And how does that work? Well, it works here by means of, Peter says, all kinds of trials. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what he says here, right? All kinds of trials, <laughs> right? What is, what is, I'm going to do a Pastor Marcus here and say, hold up, time out. Flag on the play, you know, unnecessary roughness. What, what's going on? That's what he says here in verse, verses 6 through 9. Because of our suffering, right, refines the genuineness of our faith like fire refines gold. When Christ returns, the quality of our faith will be found something to, 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 to praise about, something that would win honor and glory. And if that's true, that raises a very troubling question. Did God design all of the suffering that I would go through in life? And if, and I'm gonna let you answer that in a minute, I'll give you the tough one. And if the answer is, <laughs> if the answer is no, but also yes, then how does this reality help me with, with all of the chaos that we're going through in the culture? Listen, I gotta be honest with you, I am down the rabbit hole with information lately that's caught, I, listen, I, I can't sleep. There's some nights, how, did this, how does this reality help me with all of this outer chaos and all this weird stuff that's going on in our culture? Well, before you answer that, I had the honor to, to interview a family, get their testimony. Uh, they've been coming to Crossbridge Church for several years in Miami Springs, and they came as a result of Hurricane Irma and Maria from Puerto Rico, and they came to Miami. And I didn't know this at the time, but I met them, and I was like, oh, yeah. You know, I was just a, I was telling them about all the pain and all the suffering that I went through by, 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 by going with, with no electricity for two days. <laughs> and I had no water because, you know, one of the trees, you know, bust, bursted one of my pipes, and I was like, oh, I was embarrassed. I had to shower in my neighbor's house. And they looked at each other, and they smiled, and they were like, well, we went without power for 200 days. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm not complaining about anything. Ever again. <laughs> well, church, here's a short little clip of how that interview went. And the question I asked them is, how did, how did this outer chaos or how did the gospel and your relationship with God strengthen your faith in the midst of all of this outer chaos? When I switched careers, I in part switched careers because I had put my functional trust in work. It, and I was working, you know, 16 hours a day. It, I go into education. Um, and it's interesting because I go to 
to to this Christian school, right? To work at this Christian school. And one of my best friends is actually the one that's leading the school. They made the decision not to retain me, but they didn't tell me until August. And he knew. I'm like, dude, like, we're friends. <laughs> like, you're not only the principal of the school, you're like one of my good friends. And again, then it's just the, the, the process, different things happen along uh, along the way and then comes the hurricane. The island itself then became sort of so stifling for both of us and more more than me for him I think as well that that whole notion that their improvement would come so slowly because the devastation was so vast and then we would look at our daughters and we were thinking do we want them to live like this do we want them to grow up with this we so that's where that started very selfishly wanting something better for our daughters God is our hope and I think that that has always been the constant. The fact that uh, this isn't our first hurricane, right? Um, from We've been together for 16 years, married, um, and in our lifetime, right, from illness and death and loss and pain, you you learn a lot and you grow a lot, right? And if, when, when, you're, when you have each other, right, then you also are allowed and available to point each other to Christ. I think that that's something that we've always done. If it's not me, it's him to say, let's stop and pray about this. Let's go to the word. What does the word say, right? Um, let's just worship, right? I think that those are the three constants. When, when things are make no sense, what does make sense is the word. The word makes sense, and praying makes sense to us, and worship makes sense to us. So, if so, those three become the healing bone, right? That points our eyes to grace and to the hope that is in Christ. And and I think it's very important for us as well to tell these stories often to our kids, because they're not stories of pain; they're stories of growth, right? Pain and suffering are excellent teachers, and what we learn is that God is constant; that He's always there, and He's always offering this significant peace when you seek it, right, and when you ask for it. So the, the constant has been God, always. He's the one that's always there, just waiting for us to come to Him. an amazing testimony, an amazing uh, story. Thank you, Olmedo family, for making yourselves available this week and sharing your story. Well, Carter, I'm going to hand it off to you. We have another amazing uh, story with us uh, today. Yes, we do. One of my uh, best friends up here, Juan Marcos, I get to ask you some questions. We've been friends for almost five years now, and I also had the privilege of, of baptizing 
Juan Marcos uh, last year. Uh, he is one of the owners of Sweet Caroline, a karaoke bar in Brickell, best karaoke bar in all of Miami, all of South Florida, maybe I all think of the, the world. Only karaoke the world. bar in Miami. Yeah. You're also um, the founder of Brickell Living and one of the founders of Miami Bar Crawls, and like it feels like 14,000 things. And it's awesome to have you here. And so I want to ask you a Thank few you, questions. Thank you, man, for, for having me. So, Juan Marcos, where are you from, first off? Um, well, born and raised in Miami. I'm a Miami native. Uh, my background, though, is Cuban-Panamanian. My mom's Panamanian. My dad's Cuban. Uh, but I was born and raised here in, in Miami. So I always call you Mr. Brickle. That's my, uh, that's my name for you, right. my nickname. But what brought you to Brickle? How did you get there? Um, it's funny because I have to thank my brother for, for that. I was, uh, I, you know, I say that I was, I was born in Miami. I was, but I was really raised in Kendall. And if you know Kendall, it's not really Miami. It's kind of like the suburbs. Oh, that's, that's fighting words for people yeah, in Kendall. Yeah, yeah. And then, and, um, but it's the truth. And yeah. um, even though I lived in Kendall, I mean, I pretty much stayed there for the first, like, 20 years of my life. Um, I worked at a bank in Brickell. And so it's always about an hour 30 commute just to get to work mm. and an hour 30 commute just to get back home. So that was three hours of my life literally behind a car stuck in traffic, and, and honestly, up to that point, I was sick of Miami, and I was trying to find a way out. And uh, it was my brother's idea, actually, to find an apartment in Brickell and, and be roommates, and um, actually, on my 21st birthday, and this is funny that I just remembered that right now, on my 21st birthday, we decided to move to Brickell together, and uh, the very next day, I discovered the miracle of the five-minute walking commute because the yeah. bank was literally two blocks away from where I lived. And um, I, I fell in love with Brickell and with Miami all over again. And that was what year? 2011. So Brickell was very ten, different. Ten years ago. Yeah, very different. ten years ago. Oh, yeah. So this year, 2020... What are some of the challenges that you have faced in the chaos that is this year? Well, I mean, a lot. Mostly that um, I wrestled a lot with, um, you know, lack of motivation, lack of drive, lack of ambition, because um, my main sources of, of income, my professions, the things that I've dedicated my, my life to, um, from one week to the next, they were just completely shut down. And so I kind of, um, I, I wrestled with that for a very long, for, you know, at, at least a month, uh, you know, the first month of the pandemic, uh, because number one, it's kind of like your sense of self gets lost because you dedicate so many hours of your week to working, and then you no longer have that. And also, um, my income, you know, the, the, these three projects that the bars that I own, two bars that I own and, and Mammy Bar Crawls, which is an event production company, um, just stopped generating income for me from, from one week to the next. And uh, I was left without, without nothing. Thankfully, I did have savings and I, and I, and I, you know, I fought my way through it. But um, in the beginning, it was very, extremely difficult to have that just swept right from under me. Wow. Yeah. So how, how has the gospel and your relationship with God shaped your understanding of this experience that you've, you're still in and going through? It's funny because um, I'm reading the Bible 
right now for the first time chronologically from cover to cover. Um, you're kind of guiding me through that. And it's also a theme that was uh, touched upon a few times uh, today. And that is that God has, I take a lot of comfort in knowing that God has a, a purpose in the pain and suffering that we're, that we're all going through mm. individually and collectively as, as humans. Um, and I look at everything we're going through, not only with the pandemic, but, but as a nation, and um, as much as it hurts seeing all that, that anger and that rage and that violence and, and just everything that's happening right now, um, I take comfort in knowing that God is allowing this for, for a reason, for our growth um, spiritually, right? And, and right now we have a choice whether we should you know, listen to what's happening and accept that it's happening to us and learn from this so we can actually grow. I love that. God has a, a purpose, a plan. There's a, he's outside of it and guiding it. Yeah. Um, lastly, I would ask you, what is like maybe one lesson that I'm sure you've, you've learned many lessons in these past five, six months, but what's maybe one lesson that you're clinging to that you feel like God has taught you specifically in this season? Well, like you said, there's definitely a lot, but the one that comes to mind because I actually applied it today with some personal issues that I'm going through. Um, the first time when I wanted, when I thought of answering this this question, I was going to mention that um, it's kind of cliche, but that um, you know we're we're in this car and God is the driver and he's uh, he's behind the steering wheel and we're just in the passenger seat. But I don't know if that's accurate because we, we do have free will. So we make decisions that lead us ultimately to where we're trying to go, right? So I do think, or I know that we are the drivers. We're behind the steering wheel. But God is there, and God is the GPS. And he has a predetermined destination for us in mind, right? So he, he's kind of guiding us, or not kind of, he is guiding us and telling us how to get to our destination, um, and it's up to us to decide whether we're going to listen or not, right? Because we're stubborn humans is kind of our nature. So let's say you're on that road and you're, you're driving down the road and, and the GPS tells you, hey, take your next right. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, I know, I know, I know a shortcut. I know where that's going to lead me. I'm just going to keep going straight. I'm just going to ignore that. And, and so you do that. And you reach the next intersection and the GPS is like, turn right here. And you're like, no, I know where I'm going. It's probably going to take a lot longer if I turn that way. I'm just going to go to my, take the shortcut. And you do, that, you do that a few more times until you get to where you think your shortcut is and you realize that it's blocked off. Mm. And it's a dead end. And so the GPS recalibrates, right? And it gives you a new route. And, um, and funny enough, the destination is still the same. Mm. It's the same destination you were supposed to, to get to, right? But now you're even taking longer to get there because you chose to ignore the GPS that was guiding you. Mm. And so I think uh, we have the responsibility and the choice to accept that God has a predetermined destination for us in mind. And on top of that, that he is guiding us along the way and that we can choose to listen to him 
or to not. And, and if we don't, one way or the other, we're going to get there, right, to our destination. It's just going to take a lot longer if we decide to ignore it. Man, I love that. <laughs> you know, that speaks so much into what I think, you know, I know what you're going through and, and many of us and so many in our church that this outer chaos that is spinning around and feels like we have no idea when it's going to end, but there is inner peace available, and that gives so much peace to know that there is, in fact, a destination that God has for us. And, and Sam, you were talking about that living hope, and you know, we're also going to see that that destination that God has for us, even though sometimes we ignore it and we face the consequences of ignoring the way that God is leading us, that destination uh, is of unimaginable value. It really is. You know, this week as I was preparing and I was, you know, reading First Peter, I thought of an experience that I had uh, with, with Jessica, with my wife, many, many years ago. And I'll never forget it. We were uh, traveling to Peru. And if you ever hear anyone traveling to Peru, you know what they're going to go see, which is what? Machu Picchu, exactly. And so we were backpacking and we set up the trip and we tried to figure out where we're going to go. And uh, most people take the train to Machu Picchu during the day. You go see it, and then you take the train back to Cusco. We were reading online that if you go stay in Aguas Calientes, which is the, the town at the base of Machu Picchu, you can get up there in the morning before the sun rises and see the sunrise over the ruins. And so that's what we did. We got there to this hostel and this kind of old town in the bottom of uh, this valley. And we woke up in the morning, the night, the day that we're going to go see Machu Picchu. is 5 in the morning, I want to say. And we went to this bus station. There's just a handful of us. And we get on the bus and we take it all the way up to Machu Picchu. And then we climb up. We can't see anything because the ruins are, are covered in darkness. And they're also covered in this fog, this haze. So we're sitting there. And the sun begins to rise over the mountains. And it just, you know, it's beaming down right on the ruins. But you can't really make it out until the fog slowly begins to rise and you see these incredible ruins, this city built on top of this mountain. I just remember sitting there thinking, this is unbelievable. I mean, take your breath away. And as we spent the day on Machu Picchu and hiking and looking all around, I kept thinking as all of these tourists are coming in to see it on the bus all throughout the day, just thinking, I feel so blessed to have seen that with just 30 of us up there on top of the ruins and all of these other people that are coming, they, they missed it. And I think what Peter is getting at here, especially near the end of 1 Peter chapter 1, is that our salvation, the grace that we have received, is of unimaginable value and we should respond to it with gratitude, with joy. There is actually peace available when we consider the grace that God has given us, even when we're in the midst of chaos. And so he speaks here about the prophets, and he says, you know, the prophets in verse 10 through 12, they were longing to see this. They were longing to see the grace that God had for his people. Even the angels are longing to see God's work of salvation and grace in the lives of his people. And he's speaking here of that value, that worth of our salvation. Sam, you said something that was uh, challenging, and I think really important, which is that sometimes we have the ability to infer mm -hmm. that our salvation was caused by us, that we have done something uh, to, to receive it or to, you know, necessitate it in our life. And what happens when we fail to see 
that our salvation is a byproduct of grace given to us. It is a free gift that God has given to us, that God chose us in Christ. When we fail to see that, we have a miscalculation of the value of our salvation. We, we say, yes, of course, our salvation is important. I think almost everyone watching would say, my salvation is important. But we have a lot of important things in our lives. The fulfillment of our dreams is important. The future of our kids is important. Finding romance is important. Establishing healthy relationships is important. The future of our country is important. There are many important things in our life. And what Peter is driving at here is that the importance of our salvation is not even in the same universe of the other things in our life that are important. It's not even comparable. They're completely different scales. What we have in Christ is of unimaginable value. It is so valuable, in fact, that he says it's inexpressible. You can't actually figure out a way with human language to convey the value. But how could we? Um, Just consider for a second, church, what we have received. The creator of the universe who created everything, who created our minds and our heart and our personality, who is in control of all things, as you said, Juan Marcos, who is behind even the anger and the rage and the chaos that is swirling and is orchestrating and working everything for a destination that he is in charge of and that he will get us to. That this God has given us free grace, has chosen us, has forgiven us. This transcendent God is also imminent to bring us to salvation, to show us grace. How could we explain that with words? How valuable that is. And it's difficult for us to explain and to share outside of what you said, Sam, which is just with praise. I mean, all we can really do is praise because we can't even fathom what we've been saved from. How can we express what we're saved for, that destination, if we can't even accurately fathom what we're saved from? You see, we, are, we have been saved for a living hope, an eternal and secure and rich inheritance where we will be in perfect existence with the God who created us and his people. But what have we been saved from? We've been saved from a living hopelessness. We have a living hope, but we've been saved from a living hopelessness, an eternal separation from God and his people. It's hard to fathom because right now everyone is experiencing the common grace of God, even those who are running from God and rejecting him. And so we, we struggle to calculate the real value of our faith, of the grace that we've received, because we have difficulty explaining and even imagining what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for. And so I think as we struggle with that, oftentimes what our tendency as human beings is to do is to try to create some semblance of safety. We have this human impulse in us to create safety. So much of the panic that is being caused by this pandemic is because we feel unsafe. We feel unsafe with our health, Our jobs feel unsafe. Maybe relationships feel unsafe. Our family maybe we feel is unsafe. There's so much unsafety. And so we try to establish control to create safety, and we cannot establish control, and so we begin to panic. 
But we don't only seek safety in our health. We seek safety everywhere, even in our salvation. You see, the Western world has sought to establish safety in regards to salvation. What have we done? Many people have, have sought to debunk and discredit the biblical God and replace God with a belief in a God that is much more comfortable, that kind of operates in a fashion that we're okay with. We, we've created a safe God. Many have sought to root out anything that feels, quote-unquote, religious for something that is more spiritual, which is really just another way of saying that we want our faith to operate in a way that is comfortable. We want a safe faith. And then lastly, when we think about the afterlife and we think about heaven and we think about hell and this living hope and maybe living hopelessness, we struggle to fathom and imagine what that looks like. And so we choose to look at a God who is love while ignoring a God who is also just. We create a safe salvation. And this tendency to do this is because we miscalculate the truth of God's word, the beauty of what we have received, and we fail to recognize what we've been saved from, what God has rescued us from, something that the prophets of old longed to see. See, this, the passage here in, in verse 12 says that the prophets of old were actually serving not themselves but us, They wanted to see the grace of God in full effect, but they were told that they were serving us. They were showing us the procedure and the plan and the product so that we could take hold of that product, that salvation, that living hope, that faith, and see its unimaginable value. In fact, the angels were longing to see what God would do. You see, the angels are outside of the drama of sin and salvation. They are perfected creatures. And yet they are looking to see what God will do. If the angels are longing to see what God will do and the salvation that he will give and the grace that he will pour out, how much more grateful and full of praise should we be as the beneficiaries of grace? It's unbelievable. You see, our salvation is so, so profound and beautiful that we struggle to explain it. So all we can do is praise. So I don't know, church, what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I know many of you are going through a lot of difficult situations. I'm sure you resonated with the, the testimony and the experience that Juan Marcos has been going through as well. I know many of you are struggling and you're feeling emotionally and mentally weak. Your financial situation is fragile. Your family is struggling. You are, you know, facing these doubts that are raging back. Your fear is at an all-time high. Relationships, there's a lot of tension that you're feeling as well. Maybe you're feeling alone. I don't know what you're facing, but here's what I know. As the famous American uh, preacher Jonathan Edwards said, the best is yet to come. It may feel like you're driving and you're taking the wrong direction. You're facing the consequences of those actions, but the best is yet to come. That's what Peter is saying. The best is yet to come. The destination that God has for us is so unbelievable that even in the midst of chaos, we can find peace. 
The Apostle Paul says that I could lose everything, but if I have Christ, I've gained. Could lose everything that is important to me, but I have the most important thing, the best thing that is to come, and that is the salvation that God has for us and has been prepared for us, the inheritance that is so rich and so secure and is set in heaven for you. Now, church, listen, I'm not, I'm not preaching to you. Sam wasn't preaching to you. The Holy Spirit, even Peter says here, the Holy Spirit from heaven is being sent to you so that you can begin to experience and to see this good news. This is good news. It is good news, this grace that has been given to you, this grace that brings inner peace in the midst of outer chaos because we have something of unimaginable value. We have a living hope that is greater than anything. So don't resist it, church. Don't, don't s- settle for being angry and frustrated and feeling hopeless. You're not. God is guiding and he's bringing you to a destination that is a living hope, that is of unimaginable value. God's grace to you is so profound and so beautiful. And I pray that that would give you peace in the midst of the storm and the chaos that is swirling around. I want to close by inviting us to pray, all of us as a church to pray a prayer that God would build this gratitude in us, that he would cause us to see and to just take hold of, even though we can't explain it with words, but will we respond with praise and the the beauty of this living hope, the value of this living hope. And it's a prayer that comes from the first century, 2,000 years ago, from the Didache, which was a, a collection of early church writings. And there's a word here that I have to explain to you. It's the word Maranatha. That word means Come, our Lord. And so when you hear that, you know what that means. It means come, our Lord. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask you to not just pray with me at home, but I'm actually going to ask you to pray out loud. Here's why. I want you to consider as we pray together out loud that there are hundreds of people all over this city in different places in this country and in different places in this world that are praying this prayer alongside of you right now. We may be distant, we may be in our homes, but we are still together as the church. I hope that you will experience that beautiful inheritance that God has for you to be with his people eternally forever, that living hope. And so as we pray together out loud, would we remember that and would that bring us great joy and peace? So will you pray with me? We give you thanks, Holy Father, for your holy name, which you have caused to dwell in our hearts, and for the knowledge and faith and immortality that you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. You, almighty Master, created all things for your namesake and gave food and drink to humans to enjoy so that they might give you thanks. But to us, you have graciously given spiritual food and drink and eternal life through your servant. Above all, we give thanks to you because you are mighty. To you be the glory forever. Remember your church, Lord, to deliver us from all evil and to make us perfect 
in your love. And from the four winds gather the church that has been sanctified into your kingdom, which you have prepared for it. For yours is the power and the glory forever. May grace come and may this world pass away. Hosanna to the God of David. If anyone is holy, let him come. If anyone is not, let him repent. Maranatha, come our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.